Alright, welcome to the podcast. I'm Jack, and this is the Ball vs. Life podcast. I and mean, we've all heard of Ball is Life, but what is Ball vs. Life, and what does it mean to us? And this is my partner, JC, and he's going to give you a little insight of why we chose Ball vs. Life as our podcast handle. Yes, what's up, what's up, everybody? So, my name's JC, and we're trying a pilot and trying to start our, our new podcast called Ball vs. Life. Just a little backstory in terms of what we were trying to do. When Jack and I were trying to formulate concepts in terms of what we wanted to do with our pod, we knew we wanted to anchor it on something that was a shared passion. And basically, Jack and I are really, really passionate about basketball. And I think, you know, the the origins of our friendship actually are kind of based on that, where we used to play hoops a lot. Um, so the idea is... Um, we wanted to anchor it in something that we both kind of share the same passion for, uh, which is sports. And the fact that we find ourselves um, hundreds of miles away, still sharing the same passion, uh, being in two different locations, the Bay Area versus L.A., um, we really wanted to create a pod where we can kind of focus on the types of things that we can kind of uh, share from our specific perspectives. Um and essentially, the idea of Ball versus Life is we wanted to focus on uh, a regional sports podcast. So we really wanted to focus on sports in general. Um, and we wanted to focus on exploring the specific sports that occurs on each of our respective regions that we, we, we represent, essentially. And um, this, uh, this podcast is essentially our effort uh, in trying to find ways to discuss, you know, everything that's going on with the respective sports in our specific locales. Um, now, with the ball versus life concept, um, even though we are really, really, really into our respective sports, um, you know, we actually have our own our own careers and our own lives outside of sports, um, and it's something that Jack and I actually really shared coming into this it's just like we didn't really want to just pigeonhole ourselves and just focusing on sports yes that was something that we want to kind of anchor our, our pod about but especially in the specific regions that we represent we do have quite a variation in terms of the specific lifestyles uh, between the bay and la and uh, eventually what we envision in terms of the content we'll be discussing uh focusing on sports is there's a potential where we can talk about things such as lifestyle stuff food anything uh could that you would encounter on a day-to-day or a week-to-week um um, lifestyle so we can talk about food traffic weather fashion philosophy family i think the whole idea is um while ball is a very huge component of our respective lives, we still have life in itself. And essentially exploring the convergence and divergence of these two concepts are what we want to explore with our podcast. So hopefully everybody has a, a, a good time and enjoy ter- the different perspectives that we, we just want to share from our, uh, from our takes, just living our own respective lives. Well said, JC. I mean... I guess I kind of want to give people insight of our friendship and what that means with the ball versus life title. Even though he's in NorCal and I'm in SoCal right now, we met in college at Berkeley. 
And we became roommates after that too. What really brought us together was playing basketball. And while playing ball, started like bonding and talking about other life stuff. So from ball, we really developed a really deep friendship. And we just thought, why don't we just create this podcast as a way to just kind of chop it up since now I've moved back down to SoCal. It's harder to keep in contact and really hang out. We kind of use this podcast as like a ball versus life thing. Ball brought us together. Life kind of took us apart, but ball is bringing us back. So there's a really good juxtaposition. If anything, I kind of want to give the listeners an insight on everything that you said before, like our lives um, in our respective locales, and also talk about basketball. I mean, we don't even have to just talk about basketball. We want to talk about all the whole gamut of sports, whatever is happening, specific to our region, but obviously sports is around the world, right? Especially here in the U.S., there's so many things going on, not just in California, but all over the country. So we want to hit on all those things, but with the primary focus of our locale sports. Yeah, the, my only thing that I really want to add to it is, you know, since Jack kind of moved away from uh, from the Bay after college, you know, we really don't talk as, as frequently as we would like to just because we're res- living our respective lives. And it's just really interesting that ball is always going to be sort of like an anchor in terms of what we talk about. Like, we can not see each other for for years. I I think there was a period where we actually didn't see each other for years. The first thing we would talk about is just, you know, talking talking trash about our respective sports teams. So it really is such a unifying sort of concept. And, uh, And I think it's really something worth exploring. Yeah, it's a weird thing. I could just hit you up not speaking to you, not asking about what's going on in your life and just be like, dude, the Warriors, <laughs> what's going on with KD and Draymond? But like to dive further in, I kind of want to give our listeners a background of like our fandom. So why don't you start, JC, and tell people like, yeah, where do your fandom begin? You know, where is it rooted in? Sure, sure. So it's just kind of give you some context in terms of my Bay Area sports fandom. I moved to the Bay Area in the mid-90s. So I've been watching Bay Area sports for, dang, more than 20 years already. And as a young man back then, I was just really getting into sports when I moved into the Bay. And it was just such a perfect opportunity to just come into a culture that's just really, really deep into sports history. Coming into the Bay, I had an opportunity to be exposed to what, six or seven different teams that essentially represent the general area for every major sport. You know, we got the Warriors up here. We got the Giants. We got the Niners. We got the Raiders. We got the A's. I'll even throw in the Kings in there. Just to name a few of the sports teams that represent Northern California lifestyles. In addition to that, we even got the Sharks. I'm not a big hockey fan, but then again, it's still part of the Bay Area culture. And... You know, given that we actually had went to college up in the area, that's something that actually goes unsaid just because we do have Division I uh, universities here that are repped with Cal and Stanford. So there's just a lot to talk about from a sports perspective here in the Bay Area. And bottom line, sports is just so intertwined with the fabric of Bay Area culture that it's just difficult not to incorporate it into your own life. And uh, I've had... So many ups and downs being a Bay Area sports fan. You know, hopefully we can explore a lot of those concepts. There's a rich treasure trove of like Bay Area sports and it's steeped in history. I mean, same definitely can be said for LA or SoCal. We obviously have the Lakers. We have the Clippers for basketball teams. We have hockey teams. We have college collegiate sports. USC, UCLA have been, I mean, John Wooden. I mean, it all goes back. 
there's so many teams. I mean, like we have two teams in every sport, baseball, Angels and Dodgers. They're both LA teams. And now even football, just recently, Chargers and Rams, two LA teams. It's kind of crazy. There's two major league teams in LA. <laughs> like it's kind of a weird thing, but it's yeah, super rich in history. I moved here in, in 1991. And I became a Laker fan right away. It was just kind of an easy thing to pick up just because LA is the Lakers. There's other stuff, but in terms of sports, everybody's a Laker fan. I mean, there's the Dodgers too. I would say the Lakers and Dodgers are the two premier teams in LA. So it's easy to become a fan of the Lakers and Dodgers. So since there's so much to cover, why don't we talk about the first player that really caught our eye in some of our respective teams that we are a big fan of? Yeah, sure. In terms of the first first player that really came into my memory when I was thinking about Warriors basketball specifically is uh, Spree, Latrell Spreewell. Mm. It was just right into the mid-90s. There really wasn't much to talk about with Warriors basketball at that point. When I came into the Bay Area pitcher, um, I think this whole C-Web, Don Nelson situation had occurred and kind of settled down already. So a lot of my first memories of Warrior Basketball was with Spree. Mm. And he was the primary feature, I guess, of the, the Warriors basketball team at that point in time. The squad didn't really have much. I mean, I I knew they had Mully for a little bit, but I do think that he was kind of slowing down at that point. But Spree was, he was just exciting to watch at that point. I remember when I first saw a Warrior game, they were like renovating the Oakland Coliseum and they were playing in San Jose. So they were actually playing, I don't even know, I think they were playing at the Shark Tank. And just seeing Spree just play his game, man. He was always such a dynamic scorer. Defensively, actually, he was always solid, but he was just so entertaining to watch. High flyer, super athletic, you know, just the way that he kind of contorts his body when he goes in and finishes at the rim was very exciting to watch as a young man you're just like man this guy is really exciting from a warrior's perspective definitely spree i would be remiss to not mention the other sports just because yes even though i'm a huge basketball fan i'm just bay sports all the way so i gotta mention the giants mid 90s barry bonds was all the way rep in the Giants you know he signed a big free agent deal he was going back home steroids yeah this is pre-steroids Barry he wasn't even he wasn't as jacked (laughs) yeah he wasn't as jacked and I mean he was hitting home runs but I mean Barry was a 5-2 player man Barry was he was doing everything for the Giants man he was hitting cleanup but he was also a gold glove player in the same vein like Spree, he was just a two-way athlete. He definitely wasn't good with the press, but you really cannot deny the sheer talent that Barry Bonds had. And he was carrying the teams with the Giants back then. They had made a lot of big moves after that kind of shaped at least the very favorite Giants teams that I have. But Barry Bonds was the primary player. And I gotta mention football. Football, Steve Young. So I'm a lefty. So learning about football the very first time, I sort of gravitated to Steve Young. He definitely was kind of the main player to Mm -hmm. feature quarterback, you know, very much like how Tom Brady is always in the middle of everything these days. Quarterbacks always are the golden child, and the Niners were definitely very, very successful in the 90s, and Steve Young was the primary player. So like I said, I mean... Outside of Spree, a lot of these are like sports royalty, and we're very, very lucky here in the Bay Area to really have 
you know, witnessed a lot of these, you know, these Hall of Fame talents just come through. So I was very lucky to come in at that yeah. point in time. Yeah, I like the Sprewell one. I mean, you're a hardcore Warriors fan, so it's easy for all the people that are bandwagon fans now not to remember back then who was actually playing the Warriors. But yeah, Sprewell kind of had that grit, you know, and grind. I mean, he played for the Knicks for a couple years, too. And he kind of made his name there more so than on the Warriors, I think, just because the Knicks are like a storied franchise. For me, it's kind of like on par with Sprewell. For me, it's Nick Van Axel. So kind of had that same game, just that herky-jerkiness, but like this toughness. Nick the Quick definitely had that. I was like between Nick the Quick and Eddie Jones. What really got me was Nick Van Axel. He was so good. The way that he played ball with such passion. He was a second rounder, so he played with that toughness. He played like he really wanted to make his imprint. I remember he even like shoved a ref and got fined like a ridiculous amount of money, got suspended for multiple games. I forgot how many. But that was the stern era, so he came down hard on anybody who was out of line. Other than that, for baseball, I would say for sure Clayton Kershaw. I mean, arguably the best pitcher to ever play the game, at least in the regular season, right? <laughs> <laughs> he made me really appreciate pitching, you know, and all the things that go into it being really multi-dimensional, having all the pitches. He really brought me into the fandom of being a Dodger. Those two really stand out. We didn't have football until recently. So I can't really speak on football. Like you have Steve Young, Joe Montana, and all those, all those great Niners. I'm a little jealous, but right now, we're going to be in the Super Bowl. <laughs> the Rams are going to be in the Super Bowl. So it starts right now. Coach McVay, Todd Gurley, Jared Goff. There's going to be the future guys that I talk about in future podcasts to be like 20 years from now. Man, remember those days when we won all those Super Bowls? But for now, those two. You know they all have Bay Area ties, right? So Jared went to Cal. They do. I know. They do. Which is yeah. kind of cool. Which is kind of cool. And, but And McVay is actually like, I think he's the son of the former GM or like some sort of personnel over at the Niners. It's just kind of funny. That's why this pod is going to be so interesting. Just because there's like, as much as there are rivalries between each area, there's so many connections. That That's exactly why it's so raw, right? There's that connection, but then there's rivalry. So yeah, I like I like the aspect that you just brought up. I would want to cheer for Jared Goff. I don't really care about the Rams per se. But Jared Goff's my boy, man. He's from Cal. So it's just like... Exactly. It's just... I don't know. I feel conflicted. I don't know what to do. It's kind of like as a fan, right? When it comes to the Super Bowl, you don't have any real investment. But you kind of have to take the lesser of two evils. You're like, okay, I hate the Patriots because they're the evil empire. But then there's Goff that came from Cal. So you're like, well, might as well root for Goff. <laughs> you got to have some kind of vested interest. Yeah. But yeah, like, let's get into our next segment. We all have our best memories and our worst memories. Let's call this three in and three out segment. Let's give our three best and three worst memories of our sports fandom. Why not? You can start. If you want to start with worst or best. Yeah, let's let's start with the worst. I, I want to get hit with the bad news first. Um, you know, worst is easy for me. At least a very top moment of all time. Maybe it's just because it happened relatively recent. But number one all-time worst Bay Area sports development for me was the Warriors losing Game 7 of the 2016 NBA Finals. I think, Brutal. you know, that is the penultimate disappointment. Primarily because the expectations were sky high, right? You know, the Dubs had essentially gone through a record-breaking season, 73-9. 
Um, the squad was just running on all cylinders all year, and they were just they were just killing it. And uh, you know, as the the playoffs happened, uh, you know they they had some really tough series, and you know, leading up to Game Seven, and essentially at that point in time, you're just running on fumes. And just, I just remember the heartbreaking moment when. We were just kind of heaving shots, and it just wasn't working out. I didn't see that the whole season, and then at the very, you know, at the very last game of the season, where we just, we just weren't really, we weren't doing it. And then Kyrie hits that dagger, and you know, I, I, I legitimately remember blacking out. Like I just, like my heart <laughs> fell. I, I I couldn't see. My eyes were open, but I couldn't see. It was just. It was such a heartbreaking moment, and I, I remember being in denial. Like I, I think I th- I legitimately I think I turned the TV off. I walked outside. I was. I didn't know what to do. I was just kind of like, "Are you kidding me? Like this was such a storybook season. Is it gonna end this way? Like this is like." This is so BS. And all time, like, that was the worst moment. I was kind of happy that I was already, like, in my 30s. Because I feel like if I was younger, like, I don't know how I would have been able to kind of handle the emotional weight of the situation. Like, I I probably would have done something physical. I probably would have just, I don't even know what I would have done. And beat somebody up yeah like i remember the next day like it was just bad man like it just it, you know and i think born out of just the expectations from that 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 team it was just it was the worst sports development that i've ever gone through in my life um number two i think uh, i wouldn't even say it's a close second um, was the Giants losing in the 2002 World Series? You know, I think you know that that generation of the Giants team was my squad. Like everybody there was carefully like, like they just kind of you just wanted to cheer for them. I mean, I know Barry Bonds really wasn't sort um, you know a media favorite, but at least if you were in the Bay Area, you really wanted to root for him. Just because he really he really deserved to to get some hardware, right? And then, you know, he had other you know unheralded players like Jeff Kent, J.T. Snow, and it was just a squad that I really just kind of liked, right? And they made it all the way to the World Series, and I just remember, um, I, I believe it was game I don't even know, man, game five, game six. Like he tried to not remember these details, but I, the one thing I remember was when Dusty Baker pulled Russ Ortiz, who was he was he was pitching a gem that that game. Like he totally could have just went all the way and just got a complete game, but Dusty, I don't know. Strategically, he's always been kind of suspect. He pulls Russ out. He wanted to use his flamethrower reliever, Felix Rodriguez. Sure enough, Felix just, he melts down at the situation. Gives up a couple of hits to some, to some angels. 
the rally monkey. Oh my god, the rally monkey. <laughs> the rally it was monkey. Just, it was just it was just bad. And and the biggest thing I remember was the Giants had the momentum and just literally when they made that move, the momentum shifted. And that was the beginning of the end, essentially. And they lost their World Series. I don't even I don't even know if the people in Anaheim cared about the Angels there. You know, they're they're Dodgers. They're all about Dodgers there. And they still won it. It was so brutal, man. It was so brutal. It was so brutal that when the Giants won the 2010 World Series, I wasn't even over it. I needed two more rings to even recover from the pain of 2002. So that definitely is one of the worst moments uh, for Bay Bay Area sports for me. And the third one... Like what I was saying, man, it's just, you try to forget all of these memories, but... This is like a therapy session. You gotta face your fears. Face your fears. (laughs) So the best I can come up with for the third one was, maybe it's just, you know, recency bias, but it was the Niners. I believe they lost in 2012 to the Giants. I don't even know if, if the, I think it was the NFC Championship game. And it was, a, you know, it was my squad. That's the thing. That's the one thing I noticed is just like you find a squad that just resonates with you. And at least from a Niners perspective, this was my Niners squad. Like I couldn't even rep the Steve Young squad because I didn't earn my stripes with that squad. Like I, I, I saw this Niners squad be from a scrub team into uh, an NFC Championship Super Bowl type of, type of team. Anyway... When Kyle Williams was trying to do a punt return, he muffed that punt. It was just game over. Eli won a a ring out of it. I think that's my third worst memory in terms of um, Bay Area sports. There are a couple more out there, but at least for the purposes of the pod, you can't really beat the top two. I'm glad this pod is helping you face those bad memories. It's okay. We're ending with our three best memories. So let's just get through this part. For me, the worst, at least the first one for me, is definitely Kobe's Achilles injury. That was in 2013. And that season was kind of an interesting one because Phil Jackson, he was linked to coming to coach that team, which had Steve Nash, Dwight Howard, and Pal Gasol. So we were thinking that year, like, oh my God, we're back. We're back. Kobe's on his back end of his career. So we can stack the team and we can win another ring or two, catch Jordan. But no, like it, that season didn't meet expectations. And D'Antoni was running Kobe to the ground because we had to make the playoffs. We were trying to like get a higher seeding. And that game, it was just brutal because it was against the Warriors. It was against the Warriors. Yeah, it was. I remember. Man. I think Harrison Barnes was checking Kobe on that on that specific play. I'm sorry, man. I saw it. It's just one of those things when it's a non-contact injury. You just know. As a fan, you're just like, man, this could be it. He just injured. He just pulled up and he knew. He knew it was done. He still marched to the line for those free throws. But you could tell on his face. I felt like he was going to cry because he knew like... He knew something was wrong. At least for now. This season was over and who knows? He's going to miss a chunk of the next season. But yeah, that was really brutal because... You're just thinking Kobe was, I don't even know how old he was. He was in his mid-30s for sure. And you're thinking like, is this the end for Kobe? Is he ever going to be the same? I mean, of course, we had that hope, Mamba mentality. But I mean, 
looking at it now, yeah, that was the end of Kobe's good years. You know, like after that, it was like four for twenty-one shooting. He didn't have the same athleticism. That was definitely the most recent, easy to remember, worst memory. The second one was Kobe and Shaq. Shaq getting traded. That whole beef that they had. It was like the end of the three P era. That was rough because they were going back and forth. There was so much controversy. It came down to bust deciding between Kobe and Shaq. But as the fans were like, why didn't you just work it out, man? You could win two or three more chips. Like, you could become, like, the greatest duo in the history of the NBA. But the egos got in the way. And that was brutal. Oh, man, it's hard to relive this stuff. Shaq got traded for, like, Odom, Brian Grant, Karan Butler. Tough juice. Miami. Those are good. Yeah, to Miami. They, they were good players. I mean, Shaq actually ended up winning another chip with Flash, right? Dwayne Wade. And that was tough for Kobe because it's tough to trade away Shaq. Everyone loved Shaq. I mean, he was that lovable giant. I mean, he was a jokester. Shaq didn't a fool. He always had that personality and it was just tough to have him go. I mean, he was a Laker for the longest time and he was the one that broke through with Kobe. You know, he carried us to those championships, those three championships, really. I mean, Kobe was a big part of it, but he really carried us. It was kind of brutal when Buss had to decide Kobe or Shaq. And it, it didn't make sense at the end of the day because if they couldn't get along, you had to make the move. My last one would have to be the Dodgers losing the World Series to Houston Astros. They lost in Game 7. That was a tough series because you were really pulling for Clayton Kershaw to kind of get that postseason monkey off his back. Not really. And he was kind of shaky. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't you were pulling for them. But here in LA, we were really pulling for Kershaw. That year, the Astros had stacked offensive team. I mean, they had Verlander too. So it was no easy task, but the Dodgers had the squad. I mean, they went to game seven, so it was a really even series. I think they lost game five, 13, 12. That was brutal. But in game six, the Dodgers beat Verlander. So you're thinking, oh man, this could be for the history books right now. Beating Verlander in game six, forcing a game seven at home. But yeah, it was never meant to be. The Dodgers went back to the World Series again and lost. So that was brutal. Any Game 7 is just yeah. brutal. I mean, you yeah, would know. <laughs> exactly. It's just like the whole a whole season really just ends up being a one-game toss-up. And it's just, it sucks. Yeah, it's just heartbreak. It's true heartbreak. You put all these built-up expectations. You're thinking like, if we win it, we'll be on top of the world. But hey, someone's got to win. Someone's going to lose, right? <laughs> there's another fan with the greatest memory. And there's us with the worst memory. But you know what? Let's end with our greatest memory. Let's go to sleep happy, not all depressed with nightmares. So why don't you go? Why don't I pass the ball to you? All right. Yeah, so... I mean, this is a little bit of an easier sort of answer for me. Number one all-time, being a a basketball dude, uh, being such a warrior uh, supporter, uh, the Warriors winning the first championship uh, in 2015, definitely was one of the the the, the highlights of my Bay Area sports uh, memories. Um, like what I said earlier, in terms of you 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 have your squads, right? I mean, this Warrior squad was, um, you know, the squad that I essentially put a lot of investment in. Um, I, I I saw. I saw it all. I mean, I've seen it all in terms of Warrior basketball. I've oh my, ugh, that may be another episode. But um, <laughs> like I saw it all when it it got started. Yeah, I mean, it, it all started with Steph being drafted. I mean, I even remember when Steph was first drafted that I was kind of suspect. I really wasn't sure if he was going to be what we needed. Um, and eventually, you know, I was just like, yes, 
Jordan Hill's still on the he's still <laughs> on, he's on the board, man. <laughs> Jordan Hill. Steph Curry kid. Uh but with the you know but drafting Steph Curry essentially just kind of set up the franchise to be, you know, the dynasty that it is right now. Um, and it's just it's so interesting that it happened like that. And and, and I think it, that championship was very special to me just because, again, it was my squad. I saw them from the very start. I saw them when they literally were winning like 17 games a season and then slowly transition. So I've seen organically how they've been able to kind of develop uh, through the years, gaining experience in the playoffs. Um, a lot of people give a Warriors a lot of hate just because, you know, the style that they play, maybe they think they're arrogant, whatever. At the end of the day, you know, the very first Warriors championship team was homegrown. Uh, Steph Curry was drafted. Klay Thompson was drafted. Draymond was drafted. Harrison Barnes was drafted. Andrew Bogut was damaged goods. Mm. And we were taking players from the scrap heap, um, you know, like Sean Livingston and just a bunch of just you know, random, random players and, you know, seeing them progress, um, seeing them kind of build their identity with Mark Jackson, seeing management make a very, very tough decision to move away from Mark Jackson onto Steve Kerr, even after a successful playoff season for Mark Jackson. I mean, that was just such a rewarding experience. I don't think anybody really expected the Warriors to go all the way. I remember the Spurs were, you know, they were favorites. Um, we didn't meet them, but that's the playoffs for you. We didn't meet them at that at, 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 during that uh, playoff run. And I think it was just such a, it was just such a joy, joyous experience. I remember I wasn't even in the Bay Area, which sucked. Just because I wasn't expecting that we were actually going to win the championship. <laughs> I was in Hawaii. And I remember watching the final game. I believe it was game six. I even remember. Um, and I was watching it in uh, the hotel room in Hawaii. And no one really cared about it in Hawaii. I was just watching it in the hotel room. And just seeing them finish it off in Cleveland. And just, just you're just like, oh my god. I never thought it was, I would see this day happen. I mean, I saw Vontigo Cummings bring the ball up. Yeah, I saw Bimbo Coles essentially run point for us. The dark so I years. never thought. Yeah, I would never thought that the Warriors would win the championship. So that was definitely magical. All-time top memory. Regardless of any future championships that they won, the 2015 championship, bar none, top Bay Area sports memory for me. Um, but there were some other good times. I'll do two more. Number two... Uh, again, I'm a I'm a big Giants fan. Um, the Giants winning the 2010 uh, World Series, very much in a similar vein about how the Warriors won the championship, um, and after the disappointment of losing 0-2, um, that 2010 Giants squad. Uh, was just a bunch of misfits. That's how they branded themselves. No one thought that they would be able to make it all the way. They had Timmy, Tim Lincecum, undersized pitcher, you know, um, essentially just anchoring the rotation. You got Matt Kane. Mad Bum wasn't even a beast back then. I think he was even pulled out of the rotation in the playoffs. Um, and they, they just had a bunch of no-names. Aubrey Huff, 
Pat Burrell was like a, he was an acquisition after the trade le- deadline. I think he was just floating as a free agent. Like Pablo was up and down. Like it was just a and Buster Posey is he is kind of like the Tom Brady figure, but Buster was young back then. Like he would like I think it was like his rookie year or his second year. So like no one really thought that we would win that championship and and I remember all those games were like super brutal. Like I remember the playoff run being like one run games, playing in the rain, like just big hit after big hit. It was so exciting uh, to just watch those games. It's just like you never you never thought they would pull it and they would just pull the rabbit out of the magic hat game after game after game. And, you know, it was just it was elation. No one thought that, you know, that they would be able to pull it off and the the. The, the wound from 2002 and the 2002 squad had like stars so like we thought we were going to win it and then all of a sudden winning it in 2010 and starting off a run of back you know of even year championships that was definitely super dope and I really love that I can I can rep these experiences you know and tell my son you know that this is you know this is something that I experienced because I mean we take it for granted. Um, last one, and it's always kind of a throwaway, uh, uh, you know, uh, moment is uh, happiest moment was probably KD signing with the Warriors after traitor uh, after losing two thousand sixteen. See, and I think the reason why I was so happy was I was super low when they lost the finals, when Kyrie hit that shot, right? So I was like really rock bottom right after that um, just because it just sucked. And then, you know, what, not even a month after that happened, you know, you just hear all these rumblings, all of these sort of free agent speculation you know, everybody was thinking that he would be going this direction, that direction. And then he sends, he ends up signing with the Warriors, which in many ways, from a basketball perspective, worked the best for him. Like, it, I mean, we've seen the results after the fact that it really worked the best for him. So for me, I was really happy about that, um, that moment that he made that decision to sign with the Warriors. And it's just, you know, it, I think it was just more of a redemption story. It, I think the biggest thing that I remember when, when that happened was I was just like, yeah, we were down, but we're, we're retooling and we're going to come back with a vengeance. And I just knew, I just knew that, like, it would be a special squad just because, you know, he's, he's that special of a player. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to revisit these moments, man. It's dope. I'm glad that you can be on a high right now. I know I said trader earlier when you were mentioning KD, but I jokingly said that because I always think that it's such a double standard how we put on athletes. KD made that decision. It was the best decision for him. And look at the results. The results speak for themselves. He went into a team with great management, great ball sharing, great system. They're maximizing his talent and he's winning along with it. How can you blame him for doing that? In any other job, 
if you're a free agent or you're up for a job and you decide to pick the best company to work for, how can someone hate on you for that? It is kind of ridiculous, but I get it. Sports fandom is just kind of crazy like that, right? We don't evaluate things on the same level because there's that competitiveness that you want for your team or just you want a competitive balance, you want more parity and all that hey, stuff. I mean, I get, pretty much I, get the take, all that. I get the take from OKC. I mean, he's homegrown. He was one of them. You know what I mean? Unfortunately, yeah. he outgrew them. And they were up. OKC was going to beat you guys. He left. I, how could you leave to your rival the year before? That that I can see for in a fan's perspective. Yeah. It's tough to absorb. Not just an Oklahoma City Thunder fan. Yeah. Right? Yeah. To be like, how could you leave? It's kind of like if you and I were playing a team and we took them to game seven. We were pretty much going to beat them. And the next year, you bail on me and you go to the winning team. I'd be like, JC, what's up with that? Nag, We got to come back strong. We got to come back strong and beat this team. How can you just leave? How can you stack the team? Not, I got you. I, I mean, I understand the perspective of, you know, the team that he had left. Well, I'm, I'm, we're digressing <laughs> way too much into this. But I'm, I'm telling you, man, he had a front row seat in terms of seeing the culture and a system that worked for him. Uh, it's definitely something yeah. we can kind of explore in the future in terms of like all of the politics and just sort of the dynamics of free agent decisions you guys got a t you got you got a player down down in socal that kind of made somewhat of a personal decision as well that's true and i definitely i definitely kind of criticized him for making the that decision yeah but you know yeah that's for another pod what about you though man i want to hear about the joyous moments i mean there's a lot especially for the lakers definitely winning the first championship when you were talking about the warriors winning their first the first in my memory, I mean, of course, there's Magic and Larry. And then yeah. in my young memory, when I was a youngster, I mean, Kobe and Shaq winning that first title. It was just elation. I totally understand the feeling that you have. It's just Phil Jackson leading that squad. Kobe and Shaq just really coming together and realizing their potential. Going through the West was tough back then. I mean, you had to beat the Kings. You beat the Jailblazers. They were just so tough. I mean... When you made it to the finals, it wasn't so tough. I remember the Lakers beat Indiana. It was kind of a cakewalk. The West is the West is still stacked, but that first championship, the memory is so fresh to me. Just seeing Kobe and Shaq being so happy. That was definitely the first good memory for me. The second, uh, let's go with Kobe winning without Shaq, beating the Orlando Magic. But even after that, there's another B to that. It would be Kobe beating the Celtics because of the Celtics-Laker rivalry. And also the year before Kobe won the championship outside of Shaq, the Celtics really beat down Kobe and kind of embarrassed that team, took away their toughness. But really that memory, Kobe winning his first championship without Shaq was really great because he wanted it so badly. I mean, he demanded a trade. They, they traded for Pau Gasol to bring in some extra help. Pau Gasol, Odom, Kobe, they were such a lovable trio. Was Phil um, still coaching that yeah, squad? Phil was. Phil was. I mean, you got to remember that Phil and even Kobe had a beef. So when Phil came back into the fold, they kind of squashed it and they had the same goal. They finally could let that pass go because when Phil was coaching Kobe and Shaq, you know, Phil's like a master manipulator in getting people to buy in. And Shaq was the dominant force then. So you could tell that he was really playing into that. And Kobe was just young, hungry, upstart guy. He just wanted to carve his own. But yeah, they really butted heads. When it was Kobe's team and Phil came back, they were both, I mean, at least Kobe was way more mature. He helped push Kobe to win those next two championships. And that really cemented Kobe's legacy because without that, I think people would always be like, well, you won with Shaq. What did you do by yourself? 
and Kobe just needed that validation for his career, and he got it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it didn't come easy. There were some dark years in between when he was playing with Smush Parker, you know, Kwame Brown. I mean, he took those teams pretty far into playoffs. That was how great Kobe was. He should have won more MVPs, to be honest. He was kind of the best player during that stretch before LeBron really took over. He took those trash teams into the playoffs. He forced Game 7s against Phoenix and stuff like that. But I would say my last one, the most recent one, speaking of KD signing with the Warriors, is LeBron coming to the Lakers. Because after Kobe tore his Achilles, it was downhill for the Lakers. The management was just trash. Jim Buss and Mitch Kupchak couldn't come together and put a winning team together. And every time they wanted to pitch a free agent, nobody was taking those meetings. I remember they had to reschedule a meeting with LaMarcus Aldridge because LaMarcus Aldridge was just so not loving the pitch. So out of embarrassment, the Lakers asked for another meeting and he kind of gave it to them just... I don't know, maybe it was a PR thing, but yeah, it, it got pretty bad. I mean, they cleaned it up since then. Magic and Rob Palinka are running the show. And yeah, they Magic did what he everyone predicted, brought star power back to the Lakers, really made us relevant again. Our team has always built on attracting stars. I mean, the whole Hollywood thing. And LeBron James is the biggest star in basketball. Everything he does is scrutinized. So that would be the most recent one. I mean, the season's kind of playing out how it is, but without LeBron, I mean, we're... Barely a 500 team, if even. We can see right now, yeah. That's how important he is. Yeah, yeah. To the squad. Exactly. With LeBron, he makes us great. He really is. He's really that good of a player. So I would say the most recent one is LeBron coming back. I mean, we're trying to get that second superstar soon. You know, unibrow, Anthony Davis. But we'll see. We'll see. I mean, definitely got to give the front office a lot of props because maybe LeBron came for other reasons. But regardless... He's here, and he's made the Lakers relevant again. And we're in the playoff hunt. Hopefully, we don't miss it. To end on a good note, I'm really glad that LeBron James signed with us and bringing that mystique back, that showtime back to the Lakers. Ending on these great memories really makes me happy. But yeah, thank you for listening to the podcast, Ball vs. Life. We really look to talk about a lot of different things. I mean, JC touched upon earlier... We want to talk about lifestyle stuff. Really just chop it up. Whatever comes to mind. It's not just sports. We want to talk about current stuff. We have yet to talk about Boogie. I mean, we kind of like went into KD and him signing with us. I mean, with him signing to the Warriors and what that meant in the sports landscape. Freudian slip over there. Hey, man. Anything's possible, right? Yeah, dude. Anything is indeed possible. I never thought I'd see in my lifetime a championship banner over at Oracle. And what? We're... On three right now, possibly going for more. So we'll see what can happen. Hey, with that said, that wraps it up for the pilot episode of Ball vs. Life. I hope you had a lot of fun learning more about Jack and myself, our allegiances for our respective um, hometowns and our regions. And we really hope to explore a lot more interesting topics in the future. Yeah, I mean, this is a really grassroots project for us based on passion we even had our good friend tae Wu design our logo he actually is an artist and he's really talented he has a lot of more artwork that he's going to develop for us that we're going to put on our ig at ball vs life official and if you have any extra topics or things that you want to discuss please email us at ball vs life gmail.com and hit us up on twitter at ball vs life and yeah we'll catch you guys on the next episode we're super excited peace <laughs>